Hey Skeeters fans, Ryan Posner here, and on today's episode of Down in Sugarland, my co-host Brandon and I will recap the latest going on with the Astros. We put our prediction hats on and try to predict the Skeeters opening day roster and interview with Astros legend Shane Reynolds in our first rendition of Hate It, Love It, Depends. Hit it, boys! Hey, Skeeters fans. Every Houstonian knows that Cherry King Backyard Store is the first and only stop for when you upgrade your backyard. With the largest selection of outdoor furniture anywhere, you're sure to find the right look for your new backyard oasis. The finest quality merchandise at the lowest possible price every day. That's the Cherry King difference. Cherry King Backyard Store is proud to be the official outdoor furniture retailer of the Sugarland Skeeters. Visit one of the eight greater showrooms today. All right, Brandon, we're heading to the third week of the season, the Houston Astros. It's been a little bit of an up and down start so far. They definitely came out. Guns a blazing with that sweep against the A's, took two of three against the Angels, and then, you know, the the little bit a little bit of a struggle that the next time they they took on the A's and uh, they got the Tigers this week as well as the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of just kind of I guess break break it down. Started with that Angels series. You know, it was a game in which they left the road trip with the, with a great taste in their mouth. That Carlos Correa go ahead home run uh, took him back home uh, what were some of your takeaways from that series uh so they split the series against the angels uh, it was a heartbreaker in game one losing for the first time this season seven to six uh garcia he struggled on the mound three and a third gave up four hits two earned walked three and only struck out one uh joe smith he also struggled out of the pen he didn't record an out gave up two hits three earned no strikeouts no walks but the biggest thing was the astros scored six runs but they left 11 guys on base in game one and then Mike Trout did Mike Trout things. He he had a very good series uh, going into this one. Game two, a little bit better. Uh, Granky he had another lights out performance. Seven innings pitch, giving up two earned, four strikeouts, one hit on five hit. Or sorry, one walk on five hits. And then Presley closing the door in the late innings. Two innings pitch, no earned, two strikeouts, didn't walk anybody, only gave up two hits. So the split series against the Angels was not. It, it's not terrible. When you go on the road, you kind of just want to come out even in the sense of that, especially since the Angels were, at the time, just a game behind us, so we were able to keep that lead. And then we headed into the home series against the A's, and, man, that home opener, they allowed 50% fan capacity, and it was sold out. I mean, it was it was all orange in that bad boy. And Javier, wow, did he dominate that first game. Five scoreless innings pitched. All the big guys homered, and then probably the biggest thing of it all was the catch by Miles Straw. I watched that probably like 15 times on SportsCenter. What a play that was. Yeah, he's crazy good defensively. I mean, he's got that, that, that kind of speed. As long as you even take a somewhat good angle to the ball, you're going to be in on most plays. And that was good to see them come back to Minute Maid. Uh, you'll love to see the fans in the stands, and they got a win on that opening night. Uh, you saw Uncle Mike. Mike Brantley came back after a, a brief injury kind of scare there with his wrist, and you know, yeah, you mentioned the big boys homered. Uh, Carlos Correa came back and homered again, second straight game. And Jordan Alvarez, man, he makes it look easy when he just takes that ball to the left field with the left-handed stroke. I mean, it looks like he's barely even trying to strike the ball, and yet he hits it like 490 feet. Like, that guy, I think, and a lot of Astros fans and a lot of people, were, you know, this is his first year that you're going to really see him hopefully play a full season. And uh, so far, so good. I mean, easy power. and he, He's got the two home runs. Uh, headed into the week, um, and, and and a guy that you know at some point you wonder if I mean is he going to maybe get some reps in the outfield? Another try about a left field, so very interesting. But you know, you a very brief surface level kind of purveying of the numbers. Kyle Tucker, the average is a little bit not maybe not where you want to see it, but he's got 
you know, four homers already. That's 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 something that uh, you got to be pretty happy about right there. And Jose Altuve kind of going moving back up into the lineup, you know, in a spot where he's been in before in his career, uh, but you know, not for a while batting leadoff now, and he's he's done pretty well so far as well. I mean, I want to kind of pick up on Tucker as well because you, you're right; he's hitting two twenty five, four homers like you mentioned, but eleven RBIs. That's where he's been huge. He's been anytime that somebody's on base, he's bringing them on home. So. That's something from Tucker that I don't think a lot of people thought he'd be dominating this early in terms of run production, but he's been fantastic with that. And Alvarez, I made the joke with you, he kind of looks like a skinnier Big Poppy, right? And that's yeah. kind of ironic because he's jacked as can be. Yeah. Maybe a jacked Big Poppy would sure. be a better phrase for Alvarez. In better shape, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he knows a treadmill. Yeah. But he's one, you're exactly right, that home run, it was just such an easy stroke that left the yard no problem. He is going to be dangerous as he progresses forward. So it started off great against the A's, winning 6-2. to two, But then after that, it started to fall apart in the last two games, losing 6-2. Uh, McCullers, he threw five innings, gave up one earned, walked three guys, struck out six, giving up two hits. And then the bullpen, again, started to falter a little bit. Uh, Abreu came on for two and a third. He gave up a run. Blake Taylor, he only recorded two, or only two outs, and he gave up two runs. And then Joe Smith again, giving up two runs on two hits and one inning. We, you know, Joe Smith going forward, I think he knows he needs to pitch better than what he's been doing. He's somebody that we really need to step up coming out of the pen. Yeah, and you wonder, you know, Joe Smith did decide to opt out of last year, so it might take him a little bit longer. This might be like almost like an extended spring training for him. He's, that's a veteran guy right there. I'm not not too concerned about him, and, and especially the bullpen. Is, you know, Brandon, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, they have some reinforcements on the way. They got Pedro Baez, who was a guy they signed in the offseason, a former Dodger. He, he was a stalwart in that Dodgers pen for a long time, and – He's going to be a big addition when he comes back. He battled COVID in spring training, and now he has a forearm strain. So once they get him back, that's a huge addition. you got like guys like Josh James, Austin Pruitt coming back off injuries. Um, another guy, too, who probably will actually start here in Sugarland, Ken Emanuel, who's been in the Astro system about as long as anybody on their roster. He's serving a suspension right now that he was handed down in 2019, and it's up in the month of April. So he might make a few appearances here with the Skeeters before going back with it. The long story short of it is they have some reinforcements coming for this bullpen here, and I, that's much needed because also Anoli Paredes, um, and he's, he's, he was kind of the first guy we've seen now get tried onto the I.L. Yeah, it, I believe it was what? He got 10-day D.L.? Yeah, yeah, 10-day I.L., yep. And so that's going to be a situation. You're right. The biggest thing is knowing that with the pen in its situation currently, you've mentioned it, they've got reinforcements on the way. And that's going to be so nice because the starters have been kind of doing their job pretty nicely. It's the middle relief where there's been a bit of a struggle or the better kind of phrasing of putting it is some nights they're lights out. And then other nights, you know, they're, they've dropped the last three. Again, they, they lost that one to the A's 6-2, losing again 7-3 again in the, in the final homestand against the A's. And then out came the Tigers and A.J. Hench and dropping that first game too. But it was nice to see A.J. Hench get a standing ovation from the crowd when he returned. Certainly. I mean, he's beloved in Houston and a guy, you know, you, there was an interview with him and Julia Morales from AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. And I mean, AJ, you know, he, he said how much he wanted to thank the Astros fans, but I, it kind of stuck with me. He, you know, he also apologized to them because he brought, you know, a lot of pain, not necessarily him personally, but he just understands the dynamic of everything that happened around him. He thanked Dusty Baker for taking over this team. He saw a lot of love. You see, he saw pictures of Alex Bregman, hugging him before the game. I mean, there's a lot of love between A.J. Hinch and the guys still on the Astros, and I thought that was a, a nice video tribute they did for him, and uh, I think the crowd embraced him in a, in a positive way, which is I think they should. And, uh, 
it was great. And, you know, talk about reinforcements too. Jacob Rizzi rejoining the rotation here as Detroit comes into town. I mean, that's that's uh, that's not chopped liver right there, Brandon. That's a, that's a 2019 All-Star just right in your rotation right now. Yeah, Jake's moving in on almost a decade of pitching. He came in in 2012 with the Royals, spent several seasons with the Rays, a couple with the Twins. And you're right, that 2019 season when he was an All-Star, 15-7, and 3.51 ERA. He was lights out. And then 2020 came around and... Wasn't so kind to Jake, suffered a lot of injuries, and then that kind of just ended his year a, a lot quicker than he wanted to. I mean, he was only 0-1 with 13 and two-thirds innings pitched, and then just so many different injuries to different parts of his body that just shut him down, and luckily it did because now he's an Astro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a he's a Zach Grinky kind of-esque pitcher in terms of, like, his repertoire, and, you know, and that was kind of, it seemed like a reactionary move to potentially what happened to Framber Valdez with his finger, but sounds like news is getting better on him as well. So just overall, that's, I think that's a big, big uh, development in the Astros rotation and, and reinforcements definitely being the theme, like we were mentioning. Well, when we come back, we are going to take a stab at what we might think the opening day line of my living for the Skeeters as we get closer to opening day. You're listening to Down in Sugarland. Welcome back to Down in Sugarland. We're going to get into what's going on down at the alternate site there in Corpus Christi. They've played a few games against the Rangers alternate site team, which is hosted at Round Rock. And uh, Brandon, what, are you, what have you been seeing so far from our, uh, our Astro alternate site team? Well, so in game one, Astros won three to nothing. And it was a lot thanks to Tyler Ivey, the starter. He got the win after giving up one hit, walked two, struck out five in five innings. And Ivey, he's somebody that was a third-round pick by the Astros in 2017. 25 years old, uh, the spring training numbers, he had a one-point ERA in three games, pitched five innings, only giving up one earned. Uh, and then his overall stats is for his minor league career, uh, he's about he's an eight and nine, uh, eight wins, nine losses, 3.07 ERA. He's got 37 saves as well. So Ivy's somebody that can not only start, but he can come out of the pen as well. So I think going forward, he's going to be a legit weapon. I mean, I, I concur uh, wholeheartedly. Actually, in Ivy, you know, got the start in game four out there in Corpus Christi. That's where they, they played the, the fourth of those games against the Rangers alternate site team. Five innings, just one hit, no runs, seven Ks. He's a guy, I think, and he, we might have to go over him later as, here as we predict our opening day lineup, a guy that's really at the top of the line of the Astros pitching prospects, especially starting pitching prospects. I mean, and that's that's, I think, a guy that, when if you're an Astros fan, you're thinking, who's that next starting pitcher that's going to come up and make an impact? He's, he's a guy you got to think about. 100%. I think with the injury of Forrest Whitley, this is Tyler Ivey's time to shine in terms of all eyes are going to be on him. And he's doing a fantastic job, just like you said, answering the call of Billing as one of the top prospects. And I think, again, the versatility of what he can do coming out of relief, starting, he, he's got like that John Smoltz-S type of a deal where he can be a solid sure. closer, but at the same time, it looks like they're going to try to develop him into that starting pitching role, and he seems quite comfortable going forward with it. Yeah, and he's not like actually a guy. I mean, it's easy for me to say sitting in this chair, but you know, he's going to throw about 90, 92, 93. He's not going to light up the the radar gun, but what he has is a very deceptive delivery. I would, I would almost put it somewhere between like a Clayton Kershaw and like an Alex Wood. Um, it's very herky jerky, but it's not like out of control. It's it's you know it's it's with a high leg kick, almost like a Trevor Hoffman leg kick kind of with like a Alex Wood rotation. Um, and it, the, the the long story short there is that he relies on deception a lot. And it, it clearly is working um, at the minor league level uh, and a guy that, you know, might add a few MPHs on his on his velo as he gets up there. But um, a polished kid, he went to A&M, got drafted out of a junior college after, you know, uh, 
getting going out of A&M and I think as somebody that's really shined so far early on. Well, in his last full season since there was none for the minor leagues in 2020 and 2019, I mean, he he had a 1.3 ERA, 14 uh game started game started and 11 saves, 4-0 win-loss record as well. So, he's somebody that is extremely reliable and going forward I'm pretty excited about watching this guy possibly pitch here. Yeah, and he started two of the first four games at, for the alternate site team, so I think you get a, a glimpse of someone they're looking to get the ball early on and, and often um, for that alternate site squad. Um, earlier this week, Alex Degote, my goodness, had himself a game, three hits, two of which were triples, one of which was a double, drove in three. Um, we've talked about him on this podcast before. I mean, he's a guy that I think – Really doesn't have much left to prove in the minors. I think he's shown you what he's capable of. He's a, he's a good bat, can play a lot of positions. Um, and it, it, it might take an injury at this point because he's got some guys in front of him. He's got Abraham Toro, Robel Garcia kind of in front of him in that in that utility role. But good to see him get off to a good start for whatever it's worth in these in these games. And, you know, good for our, our, our friends up there in Corpus Christi. They had, they had their season ticket holders and sponsors in the ballpark and – it's nice to see, you know, them kind of get back to some normalcy. And, and like I said, we might be hosting some games here down the road. Um, and maybe that, that'd be something we can look forward to here um, as an alternate site team um, in, in early May. There's a possibility we'll host them. So looking forward to that. But uh, Alex Degote, once again, I mean, my goodness, he is putting on a clinic. Yeah, 26-year-old kid out of Miami who's uh, somebody – or he's from the Miami area, I should say. Came from the Round Rock Express. He's a two seventy seven career hitter. You and I sing Degote's praises, and he's somebody that we're very excited to watch for. And we just think he's somebody that's kind of been just, I don't want to say forgotten about. That's extremely mean. But in terms of Pena ahead of him, Pedro Leon, there's so many other guys that I think the shine has been put on that I think is going to be somebody that has a monster season. And, you know, we, we alluded to it before. Him being a 26-year-old kid, you typically don't think old. But when you've been in the minor leagues that long, you start to be looked at as somebody can we call you up? Are you ready for it? Or are you kind of a career minor leaguer? I think Degote is somebody considering he might be able to make his way on up there if he wasn't an Astro. Yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, he's a guy you want in your system. Can play you know, up the middle in, in a premium position and can hit. Um, and I, I'm sure at, at some point he'll get his name called up there to the big league roster. But, Brandon, what I want to do now is I want to go uh, position by position here and kind of see – maybe what the opening day lineup might look like. We're not going to do roster construction, but we'll go position by position, see what who might get the start at, at each spot. And, you know, obviously, as we're recording this now, there might be some injuries that happen. We're, we're, we're really just looking at, at this moment, at the, at the end of this podcast, uh, what our opening day roster for the skiers might look like. And I think there's the best place to start as a catcher, and that's a fairly easy one. So we're kind of some low-hanging fruit. Um, Garrett Stubbs. Is, is probably the guy, I mean, guy with major league experience and really would probably be on the major league roster if not for some good veteran catching depth in Jason Castro and Martin Maldonado. Yeah, and Maldonado just signed an extension as well. That's nice to have because he's not only a dominant catcher, but he's almost like a, a secondary coach to have sure. on that bench. So that's a huge pickup. But Garrett Stubbs, you're right. Everywhere he has gone, he's been an all-star. I mean, when he was at USC, he won the Johnny Bench Award. And then every year he's been in the minor leagues, he's either one best defensive catcher or he's made the all-star team. I think he's somebody that is ready to break out. I I, I believe Garrett Stubbs is a next-level player. Yeah, and he's 
likely not to spend his entire season with the Skeeters if he was to start there. I'm sure at some point he'll be needed at the major league level, but I think it's safe to say if he's not already on the Astros, he will be the opening day catcher for the Skeeters. So he moved to first base. And, I mean, there's a, a guy that I have my eye on. I mean, he played a little first base for the Astros last year already. Um, he, they're definitely trying to put him at different positions because of his versatility, but I think Taylor Jones is my guy I'm looking at. The the big right-hander, 6-7 from Gonzaga. His, his uh, Zags did not pull off that national championship win, but at some point this year, I think he's a guy that gets to the big league roster as well, but starting with the Skeeters on opening day. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, humongous, 6-7, but believe it or not, with Gonzaga, he was a pitcher most of his career yep. there, and so it's it's a nice transition to see him moving on over there. Big thing that he's working on is shortening his swing, and I mean, you want to talk about a guy that has power for days. He's going to make every field position here look like it is short and anywhere sure. in the porch, and especially traveling in that mountain air when he goes west coast. He's going to put up huge home run numbers. Yeah, and a big target to throw out there at first base. Yeah. You so can we, throw them high. You can yeah. throw them high. Right. Garrett Studs behind the plate. Taylor Jones at first. Me and Brandon are both in agreement there. Maybe we split up here. Second base, Brandon. Who, do you, who are you thinking? Freudis Nova. I, he's somebody to me that I think is kind of ready to break out. And, and, and with Nova, too, the nice thing about him is he can play shortstop. He can play second. He can play third base. He bats right, throws right, 6'1", 178 pounds, 21 years of age. He's about a uh, he's a solid hitter in terms of his his major league career. I mean, he's got over 86 hits, 159 home runs, so he can hit for power as well. I, I think Nova is somebody that is uh, going to be a solid player. Nice. I mean, I, I, I absolutely think you're spot on there as far as him being a nice player. We're gonna this is where we we're gonna diverge here a little bit, though. I like it. Um, I'm gonna go with Alex Degotti. The guy uh, we were singing his praises early. I think Alex Zagodi is going to be the starting second baseman opening day, but only for the reason that I think Freudis Nova, he could probably, I think he could use a little more development. He's a little bit younger. I mean, a lot of younger than Zagodi. He's about five years younger. Um, but um, I think Zagodi is the guy with my shortstop. You'll understand why I went there. Um, and Freudis Nova, though, not a, not a bad pick at all. I have a feeling who you're going to go with shortstop. Who do you, who do you think? I, I'm thinking you're. it's going to be Pena. It is Pena. Yeah. I think Jeremy Pena is our starting shortstop opening night. I hope so. I mean, my Lord, I'd be excited. But I wouldn't be surprised if you take Degoti and, and possibly make him a third baseman. Sure. Or you could do that with Nova as well. I, I It wouldn't shock me to watch those guys go in and out. But I, I, I think I might know who you go third base as well. Are you thinking Toro? I'm thinking Abraham Toro. Yeah. That's my that's my third baseman and a guy that, I mean, I, I wanted to really emphasize that at this moment in time, we don't know what injuries might occur or what, what might be needed. I mean, Abraham Toro doesn't need a lot more development. I think he's a major league ready player, but he's not on the roster right now. He's with the alternate site team. So just by using that logic, I think he's your opening day third baseman. Toro, Degoti, and Nova, I could see them kind of just like ring around the rosy between yeah. playing second base, third base, and designated hitter as well. And don't forget about former Lightning Sloth legend CJ Hinojosa. Absolutely. It <laughs> was with us over the summer. He's going to be playing some kind of role on the team as well. And, and again, he it, there's going to be, in terms of our infield depth, that's going to be extremely exciting to watch because yeah. I think every one of those guys is MLB ready it's just the problem, the people that are ahead of him, Correa, Bregman, and Altuve. Right, yeah, and then and it's it's a nice – the infield depth of the Astros is phenomenal. So these guys really are going to only be called on in an extreme circumstance, but the Astros have done a nice job of kind of filling the stock there in the infield. And, I mean, if, if somebody like Robel Garcia maybe isn't swinging the hottest bat, he'll probably drop down – 
But again, he fits in just exactly how those other three guys are made. He can play all around the diamond. He's a switch hitter like Toro as well. So it's an interesting situation that even if you trade one for the other, you're essentially still kind of getting the same guy. Yeah, absolutely. So really the only place that we've differed here is having Freudis Nova in our starting infield. But now let's go to the outfield, and an injury might dictate this. But let's just give... Give me your three outfielders, Brandon, or I can I can I can bat lead off here with that one. And um, Brian De La Cruz was a guy that I thought would have been on our outfield, but he is dealing with a bit of an injury injury right now, which kind of opens it up to a pretty clear pathway. You got Ronnie Dawson, the former Ohio State slugger, who's been in this system for quite a while, and then Jake Myers, who was voted by Baseball America as the Astros' top defensive outfielder, and then Jose Siri. We've we've discussed as well on this podcast a very intriguing prospect tools, you know, coming out of his ears. And I don't know how you align those guys. Maybe you go Dawson and left, Siri right, Myers and center. Um, but I would say if Brian De La Cruz is healthy, I would probably put him in your starting lineup over Jake Myers if Brian De La Cruz is healthy. Interesting. So you don't have Siri in that speed playing center where he can cover just days out there. That's a good point. If Brian De La Cruz is healthy, I'd maybe put him in. Brian De La Cruz is by trade as a right fielder, so I put Siri in center. But if Myers is the one that gets the start, I, I'm putting Myers in center. He's my, he's my, you know, that's your defensive kind of captain out there. But a good point. Jose Siri can play some D now. As excited as Alex for us that Alex Dagoti is, I have that same feeling about Jose Siri. He's the guy for me that I'm going to keep a really keen eye on just because you're going to hear tools, tools. This guy's got tools for days, and one of them is that speed. I mean, he can cover some ground out there. I think with De La Cruz and also Myers as well, our outfield is going to be something that you just can't run on. You're uh, not going to yeah. be able to take an extra base. Well, no doubt about it. So we're pretty much in ingredients there. We had catcher Garrett Stubbs. At first base, Taylor Jones. Brandon had Freudis Nova at second. I had Alex Dagoti at short. I had Jeremy Pena, and I'm, I'm sure you had yeah. Alex Dagoti as your, as your shortstop if Freudis Nova's playing second. Just because I thought uh, Pena might start in double A. Yeah, and that's that's entirely possible. Um, third base, we had Abraham Toro. And then the outfield, we were in agreement there. Maybe just a little bit of differences on where we position guys. So last but not least... Who's getting the who's getting the the rock on opening day? You know what? I'm gonna go with the guy that I mentioned earlier. I'm gonna give it to Ivy. I think yep. Ivy is gonna take opening day starter and is gonna be somebody that will not give it up once he gets it. Well, we're in agreement on there too. I think they've already kind of given you the foreshadowing there by giving him the first start at the alternate side squad, and then he came back and dealt again in his second start. Well, either way, hey, I'm pumped for opening day. Base sixth too. against Albuquerque. Man, I get goosebumps even just thinking about it. And on top of that, with that kind of roster, I know people may not know every single one of those guys, but trust us when we say, like, it's going to be an exciting team to watch. Yes. Like, that kind of talent is going to just be oozing all over the field, and yeah. I'm unbelievably excited for it. Yeah, tons of guys with major league experience, guys are going to see with the Astros, no doubt about it as the year goes on. Well, that was a good segment right there, Brandon. We got into it in the, the thick of things there as far as the roster might look. And we're going to get into thick of things now with Shane Reynolds, former Astros legend, here on Down in Sugarland. Baseball is back at Constellation Field, and full-season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner, and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. Welcome back to Down in Sugarland. We're incredibly pleased to be joined by former Major League All-Star and Houston Astros legend Shane Reynolds. Shane, how's it going, man? Thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me. What a great opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah, Shane, you know, the Astros are off to a pretty fantastic start this year. I mean, and obviously these things are definitely a marathon and not a sprint as a guy with over a decade of playing the majors can understand. But, you know, how nice was it those years where your team just kind of came out and was firing on all cylinders like the Astros are this year? Well, it just it makes it good. It makes it fun. Uh, makes it for, a, you know, I guess you'd say a less stressful year. But, uh, you know, sometimes you get, you know, off to a good start and uh, you don't end that well. Sometimes you don't start good and you end well. Mm-hmm. So it's. It, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those games, you're so right, it's a marathon, and you got to be able to, uh, you know, know how to pace yourself and, uh, and, and, and you can get ready for the end and hope your, your team is connected and, and playing well on all cylinders, you know, at the end of the year uh, where you can win the most important ball game. So it's good to have a good start. It's fun watching those guys. Man, they're a great team to watch and they're fun. So that's made it enjoyable. Yeah, they sure are exciting. It's been great to see the start they've been out to. And, you know, last year we actually got to see your son Ryan out here at Constellation Field. He played for uh, Team Texas out in our little ragtag Constellation Energy League. How's everything going for him out there in the Cup system? It's going real well. He's at spring training. Of course, you know, last year was would, would have been his first spring training, and that got canceled. And uh, he was uh, really chomping at the bit. Uh, it was so good to have, you know, uh, the Skeeters have that opportunity for the guys that needed to play, and it was a great opportunity. He really enjoyed it, had a good time playing super nice, you know, baseball field in the stadium and, and have that opportunity. Um, and he's, like I said earlier, he was chomping his bit to get to spring training and, and kind of start his career. So he's excited. Yeah, you know, and I, I feel like there's not necessarily a rarity. I mean, you even saw it out here with, with Roger Clemens, all you know, three of his kids that played pro ball were, not, were position players, not pitchers. But same goes for you. I mean, is that a, was that kind of weird that, you know, he ended up being a position player out there in the infield rather than following your footsteps on the mound? <laughs> you know what? Going through that process, I think all of us, going through that process being pitchers, it, it works on you so mentally and so uh-huh. hard. Um, you know, as, as, a, as a position player, if you go 0 for 4 or something one day, you can play great defense and help your team. And you got a chance the next day to get a hit or get a bunt down or sacrifice or something to help the team. So, you know, it lifts your spirits. Man, if you're a starting pitcher or something like that, and you don't have a good day on the mound, you're waiting four or five days mm-hmm. to do another one. And that kind of works on you. Same thing with relieving. You know, relieving, you have more of an opportunity to get back in a little quicker. But I don't know. Uh, he, he, he really loved, enjoyed the, uh, the offensive part of it. So I think that's where he drifted to. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, the mental game as a pitcher, it's, that's that's a tough go. Um, you know, this is, might be a little out of left field, but I was doing a little bit of research, and there's something that you did I think is pretty beautiful, and that's the uh, the immaculate inning that you you accomplished there during your career with the Astros. I mean, for those that don't know, it means nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. I mean, only five players in Stroh's history have done so. It, was that something on the mound you're, like, thinking, okay, middle of the second batter, like, holy crap, I haven't thrown a strike, uh, ball yet? Or is that something that you, almost when you go back to the dugout, you're like, okay, now I realize I did that. I'm going to be honest with you right now. You just told me something I had no idea about. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I, I'm seriously, I seriously did not know. And I can remember playing and seeing that. I don't know if somebody did it or, or having a conversation with a guy on the bench, another pitcher or something like that. And I think one time maybe I did it with 10 or 11, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't know. That's awesome. That's, that's great. But um, yeah, to do that, you see it now with guys and you're thinking, oh my gosh, man, he's got good stuff and he's making every pitch count. Um, you don't seem to see that a whole bunch, but, uh, no, uh, having been able to do that, uh, it's absolutely great. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I would say you probably, you didn't know when you got off the mound either. It's been, it's been a little while. So that's cool. I'm kind of glad I got to let you, <laughs> let you in on that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about that 98 Astros team, man. I mean, honestly, when you look back at it, probably one of the most dangerous teams ever assembled. I mean, you had three hall of famers, perennial all-stars, all kinds of personalities, I mean, you guys were having a pretty amazing season as it was already going, and then all of a sudden the big unit comes to town. Like, what was your reaction when you found out the Astros had traded for Randy Johnson? 
Oh, man, the reaction was unbelievable. You're talking about having a lift, and you hear that these days about teams getting people uh, during the uh, at the trade deadline that, that helps their team or puts them over the uh, hump, you know. And, and we knew that uh, that we had a good team and we had a good run going. Everybody was feeling good. Everybody was healthy. Uh, the offense was doing great. We had some, you know, some young pitchers and, and, of course, Wagner in there closing the games and stuff. And we needed something in, in – in, and the, and the front office did a really good job of, of going to get Randy. And uh, we really felt like this was this was going to be it. This was this was the opportunity, the chance that we really had. I mean, Randy comes in and, and goes ten and zero, and he, I mean, he is just getting everybody out. I mean, when he got on the mound, you knew you're going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know how playoffs go. I mean, you run into teams that, like I said earlier, absolutely are playing their best ball at the right time, and it don't matter who you are. They can beat you. That's the greatest thing about baseball. Anybody can beat anybody, you know, at a, at a given day. But what they did for us, the team, the Houston Astros, for us guys as players at that time, was give us a, a mental boost, and it helped us. We had a great year. We won a lot of ball games. Everybody, some some guys had some career years. We just ran into a team that just, you know, had a little bit better, you know, three or four game series than we did. Yeah, Pete and Gavilia, you know, he was your teammate on that team, and he was the manager for the Skeeters all the time. And you know, I asked about that one time. He's like, "Man, they just Kevin Brown us to death." That, that's the Padres, and that you said that series really, the Padres were not as definitely not as talented of a, talented of a team on paper as you guys, and just ended up being able to win that one little series. Yeah, it was, and he did great. He did awesome, man. You know, our guy, our, our pitching stuff did did too. They just did, and it sounds a little maybe cliche-ish or whatever, but they just did a little bit better. I believe that we had a good enough team to go to the World Series and have a chance at the World Series. It just you know it didn't work out. Absolutely. Well, I have a little bit of a weird question about that 98 team. Who had the best golf game on those 98 Astros? Ooh, uh, 98, probably Jeff Bagwell. Okay, Baggy. Was he a big drive or was he, what was his, what was his game like? He had a, he had a good game. He, he could hit the ball a long ways, but he's also, uh, you know, not necessarily straight, but in play, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's kind of hard to hit a ball straight all the time, but as far as just a game, he had an all-around good game, short game, putt, you know, and and drive. You know, uh, Baggy Baggy's a really good golfer. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I hit the ball straight. I feel you on that. Um, was, <laughs> was there was there a hitter who like you know when you you just maybe hated facing throughout your career? You just kind of knew that when you came up, he kind of had your number. And then conversely, was there a hitter when he came up, you might have been licking your chops like, man, I always get the best of you, and I'm, I love to see you in the batter's box right now. Man, I'll promise you that I, that never went through my mind. That la- that last one you said about <laughs> licking my chops. I mean, you know, anybody can get anybody. But uh, you know, it's funny you ask that. Bit Roberts was a was a guy who played with the uh, a couple different teams. But when he was with the Padres, he he, he was a kind of a role player. But he always played when I did. He wore me out. I mean, he really did. If I faced him twenty times, he got twenty two hits. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I couldn't get him out. You know. Uh, and in that time that I play, you know, it was Sosa and Bonds and McGuire and uh, Tony Gwynn, and those guys scared you. You know, uh, you could, you know, you could get them out. Don't get me wrong, but they put that kind of fear in you because if you made a mistake, you know, those type guys in the in the in that year's period, just they hurt you. You know, they just almost didn't miss. So those guys, you had to really be careful of. Oh yeah, I mean, like I was, I was kind of thinking maybe McGuire Bonds. I love that you went with Pip Roberts. I think that's you know that's that's pretty cool. I mean, interesting that a guy like that, like a role player, you know, ends up being kind of the thorn in your side. Um, very yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Well, you know, you were really part of like that first dynastic wave where the Astros were making the playoffs consistently. You know, they had that three year stretch, um, but you were also you know there 
you know, in the early 90s when the team was not making the playoffs, what, what kind of shifted, you know, between that 96-97 season? Was it what, what kind of mentality change that led the team to that, that playoff run? I think, uh, I think we got older as a team, and I think we matured a little bit in, in, in the games that we were playing. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves. Uh, and you just got a little more comfortable. You know, when you get to the big leagues as a young kid, I mean, it is, it's, it's hard to explain. It's absolutely, it's an absolute dream come true, but it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, playing in the, in the places you play and against the people, you know, that you've watched, um, you've got to make sure that, you know, your confidence level is where it needs to be and you feel like you belong there. And I just think for some guys sometimes and even teams in general that are fairly young, which I think we were, at that time in the early nineties and all through the nineties, we just kind of came into our own and, uh, just started playing the, the, the baseball that we knew that we could play. Uh, and I think mentally that helped you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty interesting perspective right there. Um, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here. I know you played for the Astros for, for quite a while and you played long enough to where you actually had three different Jersey combos. You know, you had the, when you came up, you had the the stripes on the shoulder, and then in the mid '90s, you guys went to the navy and gold, and then I think when you ended your career, you had the the brick red and black. Did you have a, a favorite one of those jersey combos? I did. It was the, uh, I guess it was the uh, blue, the the new star we got uh, when Drayton, you know, uh, mm-hmm. bought the team and went through that through that process. The middle one you were talking about, I like the blue and the gold and the in uh, the white and then the road grays. I mean, it's to me that was what I think about, you know, uh, during my career because I think that was the majority of it. Yeah, I mean, then obviously, you know, that's a very successful era of Astros baseball, too. So, you like that's nice to think back yeah, on, onto yeah. that era. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I want to go back to 2001. I mean, there was a pretty big confluence of events in terms of, you know, a career milestone for you and an Astros win. I mean, you got the ball game 162 against the Cardinals and, you know, you get the winning decision to help the team get a division title. And that also was number 100 for you in your career. What do you remember about that day? I remember a lot about that day. I had a conversation with somebody other, uh, about that day and uh and I was supposed to start the first game of the playoffs, and uh, I was coming back, I think, a day early. Um, and I had, had thrown the ball pretty well and pretty well against uh, uh, St. Louis at the time. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to pitch that game instead of the uh, first game. So they had, you know, management and, and manager, you know, Durkin, they kind of talked about it and agreed on it, so they let me pitch. And uh, the first inning, J.D. Drew hit a home run off of me. And it was so funny. I came back in, and uh, I don't even remember who it was. Uh, that I was talking to, maybe Gene Coleman. And uh, I said, we're winning this one. That's it. And it was so funny because, and a person asked me, like, what do you mean? I said, man, if I go out in the first inning and strike two or three guys out, I am not going to have a good game. I don't know why. It was just crazy. But if they get a couple hits or somebody takes me deep or something happens like that, I guess all that is out of the door, you know, and then you're not really worrying about it. And I, I think for the time I picked in that game, seven or eight innings, that's all they got. So <laughs> yeah. maybe I got lucky for saying that. You know, I don't know. But uh, it just happened to work out. Well, hey, man, baseball is a game of superstitions. And you, you've been around long enough, so you know, you know when things are going right and going wrong. And I guess going wrong early is better than going wrong late. Man, I tell you, you are so right about that. <laughs> just far, yeah. Well, Shane, if I had it right, you, did you actually live in Sugarland at one point during your Astros career? Oh, yes. Uh, we we, uh, we we lived in Sugarland from 1992 to 2017. Awesome. So, yeah, you kind of saw the city from when it was, you know, in a very infant state now to where it is. I mean, how cool was it to see that, you know, they're not going to be the AAA affiliate for the Astros? Oh, I, I think it's awesome. I think they're going to have a lot of support. I think it's really, really going to be good for those AAA guys and for, you know, the Houston Astros themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Great place. It is a great place, yeah. Definitely. Well, I had one more for you here. I mean, 
he got to go to the all-star game in 2000 and i mean i was looking back at the the box score of the, at that game and i mean it's crazy looking at the, at the names the hall of famers you know at turner field right out there in atlanta which is no longer in play i mean what do you remember about that moment and were you kind of happy to have that come later later in your career where you might have been able to appreciate it more than if you were younger you know i think so um you know both the kids you know and my wife were were, were able to be there and, and that was you know very special um you know, I think I had an opportunity early in my career to, to, to make that, but you know, I just, we didn't, it just didn't work out. Um, but to have that opportunity and go see everything and be a part of it, uh, was something that I, uh, you know, one of the goals that you always want to do kind of, you know, I wanted to hit a home run. I wanted to, uh, you know, go store no hitter or something like that, but make an all-star team type thing. And, uh, you know, got most of those done, so I was pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely an elite class of players being able to accomplish that. Did you take any, like, special memento or souvenir home with you? No, I, just all the stuff that they gave us, uh, I have kept and, uh, and, 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 and put up in certain ways, uh, you know, to remember. Uh, but that's probably about it. Awesome, awesome. Well, Shane, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. We really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was awesome. All right, that was Astros legend Shane Reynolds right back on Down in Sugarland. Well, that was great to hear from Astros legend Shane Reynolds there. A great chat with him. And Brandon, I'll be honest with you, man. Okay, so when he, I told him about the immaculate inning, and keep in mind, only 94 guys have ever done this in the history of baseball. So it's not like something like, oh, you threw a complete game shutout. You know, it happens pretty semi-often, but it's, it's still impressive. He, he did so. I double-checked, and I was freaking out. I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I had bad research. No. He did it July 15th, 1999. He threw nine pitches, three strikeouts against the Detroit Tigers. He stuck out Juan Encarnacion, Brad Osmus, and Bobby Higginson. But we were talking about this. I'm going to hit you over the head with a little 90s baseball nugget here. Yes. The next person to do so was B.J. Ryan, former lefty reliever. This At this point, he was at the Baltimore Orioles against the Cleveland Indians. And I, I haven't done the full research on this, but he might've had the most impressive successive uh, immaculate inning. He struck out Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey, and then Richie Sexton. Whoa. Back to back to back. Big sexy. I know, man. That was impressive. But yes, Shane Reynolds did indeed. And I think it's funny because I asked him, I'm like, when did you know or do you think about it? He clearly has never thought about it before in his life, apparently. So when I heard that, I was like, hook this guy up to a lie detector test. There's no way you walk off the mound and don't think like, well, that was quick and not have any question about how many pitches you threw. I I, I mean, Shane, he seems like a very full hard, downhearted guy. I just think he, uh, I think he was fibbing on that one. Maybe who knows? I mean, he, it caught me off guard. At least I was like, Oh no, did I just totally mess up this interview? Like I had it wrong, but I, nope, I had it right. At least my research was correct. And, you know, talking about that 98 Astros team, though, my goodness, I mean, what a, just a collection of riches. And, you know, he, it was interesting to hear him talk about getting Randy Johnson in the middle of the season because Randy, I mean, he had his, himself a Hall of Fame career, but when he went to the Astros for that half season, really, in 98, you could argue that that was his best, you know, stretch of his career. So when he went there in 98, I will never – that's one of those things where, like, you remember the day. And when he got traded to the Astros – I remember my dad just like busting into my room and be like, you'll never believe who we got. And he was so jazzed up that we actually immediately bought tickets. And I was there for Randy Johnson's first start at the Astrodome. And it was just a different feel in the ballpark. Seeing that guy on the mound, 6'11", long flowing locks, man, that sidearm kind of release. 
it was just so intimidating. He was a different presence. And when he came onto that team, that was the moment, in, even as a little kid, I started to realize, like, okay, we really got something going now. I mean, and it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire with the Mariners that year. I mean, he actually was having a pretty subpar year in, in terms of Randy Johnson's career. And then he comes in and he goes 10-1. I mean, sub-2 ERA. I mean, he was everything he was advertised as. I just think it's a situation when you're that good that you're kind of realizing, looking around your team, like, what's the point? These Mariners aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And then finally, when he got traded to a contender... He dialed up to what Randy Johnson is and always has been and was absolutely dominant. The one thing that I'm a little bit upset that you didn't follow up with, when he was talking about Bagwell, the best golfer, <laughs> the only question I had is, does he have the same stance when he's hitting Dude, a golf ball? Dude, oh my God. I, I can't believe you brought that up because we have not talked about this. I had that thought. I'm like... Does he putt with his feet like outside of his shoulders? Because all he was, he was like, yeah, Bagwell, best overall game. I was I like, know. I've seen him in the batter's box. There's no way he doesn't look goofy. Like, he makes Charles Barkley look normal if he has that stance. I can't believe you said that because I had that exact thought. I'm like, does Bagwell go like full crunch for his drive and just buries it like 350 yards going full squat mode and he was like yeah he's got a big swing i was like i know he does but in my mind it I looks know. hilarious swinging a golf club and i know joke was like sitting there listening into the interview and all i kept thinking about was how he was standing and then i finally like donned <laughs> back on it like oh i need to listen to what this guy's actually talking about well like i didn't think he was going to say bagwell is, is the best golfer for that reason i'm like i feel like his baseball stance is going to just take him out of being a good golfer because he's going to have he can't golf. Like he's, I'm like thinking he's gonna say like maybe like a guy in the bullpen, like some right. undercover guy. Like you wouldn't even think of him being as the golfer. He's like, Baggy's the guy. And I'm like, oh, that really caught. It put me on my heels a little bit. And on top of that, like, do you think he got in his original stance and like his golf coach was like, no, that looks ridiculous. Get <laughs> out of that. Like who who stands like that? And he's like, well, I was an MVP. I mean, his forearms are like tree trunks, so oh, yeah. he definitely has the goods to like drive the ball down course. I mean, talk about an incredible... I want to see it now. We need to try to find a video of Bagwell hitting a golf ball. We'll throw out that challenge to Bagwell. Let's see your golf stance. I mean, and, and kudos to Reynolds. I, I was curious. I'm like, is he just all drive? And then he gets down there. He said, no, he's got a complete game. So uh, it was interesting to see. Well, that was a fun interview. Uh, you know, a guy who definitely is a very popular figure amongst Astros fans. And we're going to finish off... This episode here with our first rendition of Hate It, Love It, Depends. You're just going to do Down in Sugarland. All right, boys. Let's finish off this episode on a high note here with our first rendition of Hate It, Love It, Depends. And it is quite simple, kind of like our happy hour here. Either we're going to give you a topic. You either hate it, you love it, or maybe like it just it depends on the situation. So our first topic of discussion is Deep dish pizza and Troy, you've been a little quiet this episode, so we're gonna throw oh, it to you. You're going me first. Thanks. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna, <laughs> about, you're gonna about lead off the segment, Troy. Deep, deep dish, dish pizza. Uh, let's see, deep dish pizza. You know, I actually used to work at Domino's. Fun fact, uh, years and years ago, but uh, slung and dough. The only time I really liked deep dish pizza was when it was like leftover. I'm not a guy that like orders it. Like I'll eat it if it's there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go quick with this one. I'm gonna go depends. Like if it's there, I'll eat it. If it's not, I'm not really ordering it. Nice. I love it. It's one of those situations. Now, granted, the only deep dish pizza I've ever had has been in the right place, Chicago. I was gonna say you, you've you've been to Chicago plenty of times. So you've had the, you've had the, the good stuff. I go every summer and winter. I've hit every major like local chain, the hole in the walls, etc. So cool. <laughs> they call me Mister Chicago. <laughs> I, uh, I have I Domino's over here. 
<laughs> no, so it's a situation. I understand the people who don't love it because the, it, it's not necessarily like an actual piece of pizza. It's more of a lasagna than anything. But I, I dig it. I think when it's done right, I love sauce, things of that nature. It's not necessarily your typical crust. It's almost more like a pie crust, really, when you when you think of a deep dish pizza. I think it's a nice change of pace to your typical, you know, pepperoni, etc. Okay, well, we're, we did not plan this, but I'm going to go with hate it. We've got it oh. depends. I love Whoa. it and I hate it. And the reason I hate it is, you know, this is a, an audio medium, but I'm a, I'm a big fella. And when I eat my pizza, I don't need the extra carbs. I'm already I'm already definitely leaning into the unhealthiness. I'm <laughs> I want the less carbs. I want the bread to almost just be like a saucer. Like it's just basically like so I don't have to hold a napkin under my sauce uh, and my cheese. I'm I'm a more like extra sauce, extra cheese guy, but no extra dough. So wait, when you order a pizza, are you thin crust or are you like tossed hand, pan? Whatever? Uh, oof, it depends on the place. But if if I had the choice, if I like been a th I'd be a thin crust or regular crust, it would be thin crust. Okay. Yeah, but it's a new, see, little bit of new era of a but thinking. You have here. to eat the whole pizza to like fill yourself up. That's 100%. my problem with thin crust. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a West Coast guy in nature, so it definitely that's probably kind of a typical West Coasty thing. I love thin crust if it's like a wood fired pizza. Then to me, it has that crisp, yeah, exactly, that smoky yeah. flavor to it. But you're exactly right. If you want to feel extremely unhealthy, get a thin crust pizza and then don't look down for like 20 <laughs> minutes. And next thing you know, you're eating the box because oh. you're like, oh my god. Oh brother, I've been, I've walked that line. But I will, <laughs> I will say though, I don't know if you guys grew up getting Costco food, but those Costco deep dishes, they sell them like 45 in a box. Those were great. Well, but no that was not really hate it. It was not really a deep dish pizza though. Like, that's, I mean, I don't want to disgrace the name of the deep dish. That's like going to an Italian. You like pizza? Have you been to Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so like my only, that's the only deep dish pizza I've like, um, but no, nah, I mean, I gotta, I'm watching my carbs, man. I gotta watch my carbs. It's easier to watch the carbs. Just have one piece and you're completely full. Yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never so had one heavy. piece. Of, I've never had one piece of pizza in my life. Like, <laughs> it's never just been one piece. Like, unless those pieces like a foot long. Like, no, it's never happened in my life. Well, the episode, uh, the second topic we got going here is <laughs> the episode. Episode, ooh, <laughs> the long car rides, a road trip. Do we hate it? Love it depends, Brandon. What we got? Love it. I enjoy a good long car ride, whether I'm driving or sitting like passenger in the back seat. I don't care. It's one of those situations, like all of us, I love listening to podcasts. A good, whoever can be a good DJ on a long car ride, that's the real hero. They're more of a hero than the person driving. Because keeping the correct tunes to keep the mood throughout the long car ride, I'm here for it all day. Plus, we live in Texas. Driving anywhere takes four hours, so it doesn't matter, and you're still in Texas. Compared to if you're like on the East Coast, you can go through five states in the same amount of time. Absolutely. I love a good long car ride. It's something that I should do more of it. Yeah, we can all strive to do more long car rides. Troy, what you got? Uh, I'm gonna go with depends. Um, I have to be driving if I'm if I'm in a long car ride. I get kind of, I kind of like nauseous if I'm uh, if I'm uh, in the uh, passenger seat. But uh, you know, my family is from Pensacola, Florida, and we used to take you know it's eight hours to get there from here. It's not that bad, but I always hated driving in those cars but you know when i'm when i'm going to you know uh austin or somewhere it's not like that bad but i i just have to be in the driver's seat if i'm uh if i'm going on a large well, long uh 
long car ride. The drive to Pensacola also isn't like it's scenic. not great. No, it's it's the worst, <laughs> especially going through Louisiana. Sorry, Louisiana. Yeah, uh, exactly. You're just seeing like, okay, I got the gist of how the next eight hours is. <laughs> oh, gonna pine go. trees. Yeah. I haven't seen you in like. <laughs> oh, magnolia. I mean, in in fairness, though, if you go anywhere for that long of a time, like. I, I grew up in Southern California, so when I would my longest car rides were to like Northern California. It's gorgeous. You will. It depends on what road you take. If you take the one hundred and one, well, the way through the mountains or by the beach. Well, yeah. If you want to go, if you want to go, if you want to take the long way, the one hundred and one, it's very scenic. It's a very. If you ever watch the Big Little Lies on HBO, it's like you see like the cliffs. That's it. But. Most people, the economical way to go is on the five and the oh. five, the one oh one. It's all what do you, you call I ten around here. The, the I, ten, the ten. All you do is see cow pastures. Uh, it's it's not that great. So Troy, you're you're a depends guy though. I'm a depends. What about you, Ryan? Well, I'll be honest. I'm a I'm a love it on this because yeah. I used to remember like you know we had family in San Francisco. We you know the things that you think now you would hate like. Oh my alarm gets off gets gets off at five a.m. and oh I gotta get up early. Like when I was a kid, I lived for like the five a.m. wake up call to get going to San Francisco. And you you drive up. We had a Ford Windstar with the leather bucket seats. I think it was powder blue. I mean that baby purred on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> that is a highway machine yes. right there, man. I mean it had a VCR tape. You throw in like a Bug's Life or a Toy Story. I mean you the the trip is over in a blink of an eye. It's like you want the trip to go longer. Let's, let's get this baby to Oregon. Like why not? Like, <laughs> let's keep it rolling. See, we had a hard like no electronics rule because oh, like, wow. I know, and it was because they wanted like the conversation, the sure. memories of it. But the problem is. I could always tell, like, my dad believed in that rule until, like, hour two. Because then when it went silent, it was everybody just being like, good God, there's nothing to talk about. Like, yeah, I wonder how I'll be, you know, as a dad and when and when I'm on the long road trip and how I'll react to it. Because it's probably the same way. I'm like, just shut just shut up. At least for me, it was like CD player and Game Boys. Today, like, you have to battle with iPhone and the internet that can travel exactly, with yeah. you. Like, no way you're going to win that battle. That rule my dad had could not live in any situation today. Yes. And I'm also, I was grounded. I'm also a big anti-bathroom rig guy. Like, it's got to be an emergency. Like, we have really we have set stops. Like, don't if you it, it, unless it's an emergency, we don't set we it's we have set stops. I'm sorry. If you have to pee, you can go. <laughs> no, this I mean, isn't Guantanamo. I mean, we're going on a road trip. <laughs> I mean, I just I like having like okay, like if you drive somewhere, like you know where you're gonna stop. Like when I go to Dallas from Houston, like there's the Madisonville Buckies. You know you're stopping there. I other, agree, other no, than I agree that, with you too. Like yeah, it, like. If we're going to Austin, we're stopping at Bucky's. Like, I'm not. I'm not. If I'm by else. myself, yes, I have that hard line. If I'm with others, who cares? No, that's true. Yeah, if, if it's like a big group, it's ooh, Troy, <laughs> you're going to cut somebody off. Look, are, have they been drinking like that? <laughs> Here's a Gatorade bottle, bud. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that's next Control week yourself. on Hate It, Love It, Depends. Being <laughs> <laughs> in Gatorade bottles. The last topic we have is going to be baseball oriented, and it's the shift, and it's a very hot button topic. And you know, I, you guys got the bat lead off with that one, so I'll go bat lead off with this one. And mine is mine is really depends. I and I, I say that with maybe I'm a little bit leaning more towards keeping the shift. Um, I think you know, if you're a, a competitor, you do what you can to get the greatest advantage, and there's no rule against the shift. And so that's why my rules depends. I think Major League Baseball can make a rule that limits the shift, but until that happens. If you are a, a manager, you're a, you're in player development. You do what you can with the information you have to win games, and that involves shifting. So I'd say it depends. It depends if there's a, no rule right now. 
go for it. But when there's a rule, obviously, then that, that changes. And I kind of, and my depends is that I hope there is a rule to stabilize it at some point. So yours is just a technicality. Well, yeah, I mean, it is. It's like, I, I hope there is a rule, but if until there isn't, like, I don't think, like, I don't get mad when I see the shift. I'm just like, hey, they, they're smart. They outsmarted us. That, that's a good, that's a good play. Now, I absolutely hate it. You've taken away a left-handed hitter almost out of the ball game completely. I hate it for multiple reasons. One, my favorite thing when I used to watch baseball tonight, web gems. And seeing Omar Vizquel, Roberto Almar, diving up the middle, making these highlight plays. Carl Ravich. Oh. I mean, uh, just the works. But <laughs> now you lose that because the shift, instead it's picked up by the third baseman who's playing in short right field all of a sudden. I absolutely hate it. On top of that, you're you're removing just so many base hits. In a game where now it's home run or nothing, you've made it a limited amount. You're taking away from people actually having to be athletic. And I, I think that's a huge problem. And that's why when people talk about baseball players, they don't necessarily think athletes anymore, especially kids in this generation. You don't see any of those gold glove type of plays anymore because they're all moved to one side. And then the most infuriating thing is seeing nine players on one side of the field and all this guy has to do is lay down a bunt and he can walk to second base. But no, his pride of yanking it out of the ballpark takes over and instead we either yeah. watch him strike out or ground out. I mean, you, you find yourself in this weird analytic space like analytics tell you swing away, home runs more valuable, more valuable than a bunt single. But like you said, I mean, yes. my goodness, the left side of the infield is wide open. Troy? What do you got here? Um, I'm not going to follow up Brandon because that was beautiful, <laughs> but I agree with Brandon. I, uh, I hate it. Get rid of it. I, it's a situation where I think if they change the rule, you're going to see a different game being played. The idea of going up the middle, base hits, will come back into play because the numbers is going to show you that a left-handed guy can drive it up the middle, and now his numbers increase. The game is better because the ball is in play. Yeah, and and I think there is an argu argument to be made. You know, you watch the TV product, and uh, fans are accustomed. When you see a ball get lined up the middle, you are, you're trained to think that's a base, base hit. hit, and now you're starting to think, like, well, it depends who's up. Ground out. Um, and, you know, there's a new CBA after the 2021 season, so we don't know. I mean, that could be – there's already – we've seen in the Atlantic League here as the Skeeters, they've already looked to get rid of that rule in the lower levels of the minors. They're looking to get rid of that – get rid of get rid of the shift as well. So it's a uh, – it's being kicked around, you know. They they're aware of the of what am I the effect am I have on the game. I think it's coming because they're starting to realize the game is better with base hits, with stealing of bases, where you're just seeing more action rather than if he doesn't hit it out of the ballpark, he's either striking it out or he's popping out, and that's it. And to me, you lose the fact that baseball players could arguably be the best athletes. And the reason why I say that is most of them were multi-sport players throughout either high school, college, etc. So you're taking away all their athletic ability because the numbers tell you this is where the guy hits it. It, it. This isn't math. This is supposed to be sports, man. Like I understand the analytics coming into a play, but when you start to rob a product of how good it can be, then how useful is it? It's a fiery take right there. Y'all brought the heat. That was a good segment. That was a good segment. I thought that we... We really brought it there on the first edition of Hey, Love It Depends. I think we got to bring that one back. Well, that was a very good episode of Down in Sugarland. Love talking to Shane Reynolds. We got a little bit of an update there on the Astros alternate side squad. We're uh, looking forward to keeping it going next week. We'll give you a quick update on what's going on with the Astros alternate side squad. We got an interview with the former Astro and former UT legend, Greg Swindell. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You've listened to Down in Sugarland. <laughs> 